Quest Community Church, living life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. Well, I'm 64 today. No, 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 it's not my birthday. My birthday's in March, but I'm 64 today, huh? Have you ever noticed how your expectations in life oftentimes determine what you realize in life? Uh, you might say it this way, that our expectations determine our realization. Um, we know that this is true in a lot of arenas in life. For instance, uh, there's um, some research that was done to find out the power of visualization. That's where athletes visualize themselves actually performing an athletic um, behavior and then after visualizing it, seeing how it affects the outcome. And so the researchers actually took some uh, men that wanted to improve their free throw shooting. They broke them into three groups. The first group practiced shooting free throws for 20 minutes a day, five days a week. The second group did nothing. The third group um, practiced, um, excuse me, the third group just visualized making free throws for 20 minutes a day, five days a week. After they had done this for a month, they brought these, uh, this, these groups back in. And what they discovered was those who did absolutely nothing actually improved their free throw shooting by 3%. Those who practiced 20 minutes a day for five days improved their free throw shooting by 24%. Now, here's where it gets very interesting. Those who did nothing but visualize making free throws improved by a whopping 23%. And what science tells us is that when we perform something mentally, visually, when we think it through, and by the way, it's important if you're going to try this that you actually have good form and you make the free throws. Don't visualize missing because sure enough, you will. But what, what, they, what we've discovered or what researchers have discovered is that when we visualize doing something, the brain fires and the, and the, and the synapses are firing as though the muscle were actually acting. And so when we imagine ourselves or visualize ourselves doing something, the brain is actually being trained to perform it as though we were doing it. In other words, science tells us that our expectations determine what it is that we are actually going to realize. Um, in the Olympics last year, Kayla Harrison became the greatest judo champion in the history of the United States when she won the gold medal. And the channel that was doing the uh, the Olympics did a little short documentary on her. And, and what they asked her was, well, what do you do to prepare? Well, apart from years of training and practice and sparring and all that sort of stuff, she said that she visualizes. And they asked her what? And she actually visualizes the entire match that she's going to have. She imagines herself, you know, putting someone into a hole, escaping from holes. In fact, she's so detailed, she actually visualizes winning the gold medal, which she did. You see, in the world of athletics, expectation determines realization. It, it's true in the world of, of our health, too. Have you ever heard of the doctor's disease? It's actually an identified disease that medical students have when they're studying a particular disease and they begin to see the symptoms in themselves. And the more they see the symptoms, the worse the symptoms get. Before long, they actually find that they have the full-blown disease, or at least they think they do. Expectation determines realization. 
But it's also true in the spiritual arena. When it comes to Jesus Christ, in many respects, what we expect, in many ways, what we expect is what we realize with him. If you have your Bible, open it with me, please, to Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, we read, And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered about him, and he stayed by the seashore. So Jesus was south of the Sea of Galilee. He went to the north of the Sea of Galilee, an area called Capernaum. When he got off the boat, of course, he was surrounded by a mob of people. Verse 22, And one of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and upon seeing him, fell at his feet, and entreated him earnestly, saying, My little girl is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her that she may get well and live. And he went off with him. And a great multitude was following him and pressing in on him. Now, would you say that Jairus, the synagogue official, had high expectations or would you say that he had low expectations? Of course, you know, Jairus had very high expectations. So, as they're going towards his home, this great massive crowd is pressing in on Jesus. You've got to think rock star and paparazzi. Okay, you've got to think rock star and adoring fans pushing in upon him. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of people flocking around him as he, as he goes through this town. Verse 24. Okay, verse 25. And a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years... And had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse after hearing about Jesus, came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Now, would you say that this woman had low expectations or would you say that she had high expectations? Would you say that Jairus and this woman with a flow of blood really didn't know Jesus, did they? They'd only heard about Jesus. They had never shaken his hand. They'd never carried on a conversation with him. But based on what they had heard, they had high expectations. Jairus believed if Jesus would lay his hands on his daughter, she would be healed. And the woman of the flow of blood believed if she would touch his garment, she would be healed. And so we read on. And verse 28, verse 27. And after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I just touch his garment, I will get well. And immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that power proceeding, was proceeding from him and had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Peter's response, we know from one of the parallel accounts, was, Lord, how can you ask us who touched me when people are, all these people are touching you? What do you mean, who touched me? But you see... All of those people, they were touching Jesus. But this woman, she touched the heart of Jesus. And when she touched Jesus with expectation, she touched the heart of God. And when she touched the heart of God, she released the healing power of God in her life. 
So when Jesus said who touched me, he doesn't mean who brushed up against me. He meant who touched me. You see, it's easy for us to brush up against Jesus. But that's not what she did. She touched him with expectation. And because she touched him with expectation, tremendous power was released through Jesus into her. Verse 31, and the disciple said to him, you see the multitude pressing in on you and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now remember, Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. This woman with a flow of blood was religiously unclean and was forbidden from interacting with other people and touching other people, lest through her touch they become defiled. So by sneaking through that crowd, she was actually violating the law. By touching Jesus, she was running the risk of actually defiling him instead of being healed herself. And how about Jairus, the synagogue official? It's almost as though she committed this crime with a police officer standing right next to her watching her. And so she fell down and she told Jesus the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But while he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? But Jesus, overhearing what had been spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer. Only keep on believing or only keep on expecting. That man, Jairus, had been living with a debilitating fear. The fear that his little girl who was sick was going to die. And all of us who are parents know what it's like when we fear for the safety or the life of our child. And his only hope, because he was desperate, his only hope was that Jesus, this, this uh, teacher, Jesus, this prophet, Jesus, this possibly even the Messiah, would come to his home and lay his hands on his daughter and heal her. That was his only hope. But now that she's dead, there is no more hope. Whatever hope there was, when she died, so did his hope. So did his expectation. Have you been there? Where there was something that you feared and you asked God to not let it happen and it happened anyway. You prayed for something and you prayed and prayed and prayed and it did not happen. And eventually things got so bad you gave up all hope. Jesus said to him and Jesus says to us, don't fear anymore. Don't keep on fearing. Don't keep on believing the lies that you are entertaining. The lies which medical science tells us now tells your body to release chemicals into your system that are toxic. 
No, fear is okay. And let me tell you, if you're walking down the street and you see a lion and you don't experience some fear, then you've got a problem. Because the fear will enable you to engage in battle or run away to safety. It gives us that powerful surge of adrenaline. But fear, when it is provoked by an illusion of danger or by a lie, can cripple us and prevent us from not only having a joyful life so that we can enjoy God, but that kind of fear is contagious and it has a tendency to destroy the faith of the people closest to us. Well, I am acquainted with fear. I've been so afraid in my life that there was a time when I felt I was standing on the edge of a black vortex that was about to suck me in. Just like some of you feel today. Because of your finances or your health, your future, your family, your marriage. Jesus says, Stop fearing and keep on expecting. Well, he got to the home of Jairus and when he got there, everyone was weeping and wailing and crying. In verse 39, entering in, he said to them, why such a commotion? Why all the weeping? The child hasn't died, but is asleep. And everyone began to laugh at him. Whatever it is that you fear so much that you think has died... Why, for someone to say to you, there's still hope, you laugh at them. Maybe not out loud, but in the back of my, your mind. You know, what we become is believing cynics. We have the right theology, but in the back of our mind, in the bottom of our heart, we're very cynical. We've prayed long enough, we've been disappointed enough times that the bottom line is that we laugh at God. And we laugh at God because we know, Lord, we know you believe and you got great things for other people, but this is beyond your reach. At least for me, it seems that way. And so Jesus took Peter, James, and John and the mom and the dad to the upper upper floor where the little girl was. And Jesus walked over to the bed and he put his hands on her and he said, Talitha Kam, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose. And began to walk. For she was 12 years old. And immediately they were completely astonished. I would imagine they were. Just as you would be astonished. If the power of Jesus Christ. Took that great fear that you have. That great loss that you've suffered. And all of a sudden he put his hand on it. And your expectation was that something was going to happen different. Than what's happened in the past. And if all of a sudden it took place. And death was turned into life. You would be astounded. Expectation determines the realization. Let me rephrase that. It determines the visitation of Jesus. He's visited you. But the nature of his visitation will be determined by your expectation. Now, I believe what happens here in chapter 5 is really just teeing up chapter 6. Because in chapter 6, he went from there and he came into his hometown of Nazareth. So, he's north of the Sea of Galilee. We have the Sea of Galilee, the Mediterranean Sea, Jerusalem... Uh, is about 75 miles south of Nazareth. Nazareth is about halfway between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea and a little bit south of the tip of the Sea of Galilee. Now, he's coming to his hometown. And we know from a parallel passage that the people in Nazareth, his hometown, had gotten news about what had happened in Capernaum. So here comes Jesus. Unlike the woman with a flow of blood in Jairus, The people in Nazareth knew Jesus from his childhood. 
They were very well acquainted with him. And when the Sabbath, that is Saturday, had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom giving to him in such miracles performed by his hands? There's only one problem. We know that they were saying, do among us what you did in Capernaum. I believe what they say were saying here was said in sarcasm. And the reason I believe that was it's going to say in just another verse or so that he could do no miracles there except healing a few people. So the raising of the dead, the miraculous flow of blood that was stopped in Capernaum, none of that stuff happened in Nazareth. And that's why they said in verse 3, Is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon and are not his sisters here with us. And they took offense at him. You see, they thought it was a scandal. They thought, we know Jesus. Give me a break. He grew up with my son. Hey, look, he's a great carpenter. He learned a great skill from his dad. In fact, you know, he did a remodel for me several years ago. It turned out great. But he is no miracle worker. I know this Jesus. Oh, yeah, I know him. And see, that's the problem that we have who are his followers. We know him. But if our experience with him is kind of non-supernatural, it's very easy to put him into a box that limits who he is and redefines him so that we are, in fact, following and serving and talking to and believing in a Jesus that's very different than the real Jesus. I believe this is the most amazing verse in all of the Gospels. Verse 5, but four first. Jesus said, a car prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And here's the verse. He could do no miracle there, except he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. It doesn't say he would do no miracles there, does it? You've you got to think about this. God in the flesh, who only a short time before had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, could do no miracles there because of their unbelief. Could do no miracles there. Now, I have to make a confession to you. I am an honor graduate of Dallas Theological Seminary, and I thank God for my seminary training. You know, I sold three years of Hebrew, two years of Greek, plus I took Greek when I was at the University of Texas and studying the Bible, learning all this great theology and sitting under some great men of God who taught me what they had learned. But one of the things they taught me that they had learned was that all of the miracles are pretty much over at the end of the book of Acts. And someone would say, well, that's kind of dumb. Why, why would they make that statement? Well, because by the end of the book of Acts, you don't see so many miracles. And besides that, you don't need miracles anymore. The canon of the Bible has been completed. The Word of God is there. We don't need to hear a word from God. Today, we got the Word of God. We've got the inspired Word of God. We don't need miracles. The resurrection of Jesus and the Word of God is enough to establish and strengthen our faith. And I have to tell you, I was a cessationist. That's what it means. The miracles have ceased. So that the Jesus that I believed in was that Jesus was in a very comfortable theological box 
And I thank God for the salvation He gave me and the ministry of the Word of God that I've had over the years. But I was down in Louisiana a couple of years ago. And I was sitting in the back of a church service and all of a sudden the God gave me a name. And I went to the guy at the soundboard and I go, man, is there a girl here named Lisa? And he goes, yeah, but I don't see her. And so I stood in front of the soundboard and a minute later he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, that's Lisa. And I went over to Lisa and we had a conversation because you see the Lord had also given me a name and that word and that was abortion. And I said, are you Lisa? Yeah, you're Lisa. And I said, look, I don't, you know, I don't know what's going on here, but does the word abortion mean anything to you? And, and she said, well, well, yeah, when my mom got pregnant, my dad wanted her to have an abortion and she didn't. And I grew up knowing that my dad never wanted me. And I said, may I pray for you? And I prayed for her. And in that moment, a miraculous healing took place. But, but I sensed there was something more. And I said, what about physically? Do you use anything physically? She said, well, I had acid reflux and it was really, really bad, but it's asymptomatic now, but it really damaged my throat. And I've still got this, this long-term pain. And I said, may I pray for you? And I put my hand on her throat and I prayed for her. And you have to understand, I have prayed for thousands of people. But as a cessationist, I always would explain to them, they don't, you know, don't expect that God's going to do anything supernatural here. He might, but probably not because, you, well, I don't always explain it all to them, okay? But it's kind of a, it's more praying for someone's healing, but helping them understand that God's grace may be working in their life to enable them to endure this ongoing illness that they've got. I prayed for her and I said, how's your throat feel? And she, and she was healed instantly. I was no longer a cessationist. And that's the problem, you see, if you're a cessationist, it's because you've never seen anyone healed. I can tell you right now, when God gives you the name of someone, and when God gives you a specific emotional issue that has scarred and crippled them, and you pray for them and they are emotionally healed, and then you pray for a physical affliction that they have and they are immediately healed, you're not a cessationist anymore. I don't care what you've been taught and what you taught other people. God changed my expectations of Jesus Christ in that moment. And perhaps the reason God would do no miracles for me through me before was because He could do no miracles through me before because my faith in Him was very conditional and based on low expectations. Man, it didn't stop there. I'm staying with a guy and his wife had had a net car accident like five years before and she couldn't turn her head. So she was standing at the sink doing the dishes and I was sitting at the table and she's kind of complaining about her neck and this was all new to me. And I said, hmm, I wonder what would happen if I prayed for her. So I went over and I put my hand on her neck and I prayed for her and I said, how's your neck? And she goes, it doesn't hurt anymore. I went back about three months later, sitting at the same table, washing the dishes at the same sink. And I said, Melanie, how's your neck? And she goes, you tell me. You see, I wasn't a cessationist anymore. 
And I gotta tell you, it doesn't take a whole lot of expectation to begin to unleash the power of God in us and through us. But we gotta have expectation. And we gotta be careful that we don't become like the people at Nazareth who knew Jesus so well they didn't really know Jesus at all. Now I'm not one of these weirdo people that you see on TV. You know, boom, people falling all over the place. I, I'm, and I'm not, I guess I am kind of ridiculing them a little bit because, you know, that was all my, my view of, of, of people that, you know, believe God can heal. They were just kind of, I hate to use this word, I do not want to offend anybody. They just seem kind of freaky to me. I'm sorry, you know. I get uncomfortable with that sort of theatrical. And I'm not saying God doesn't heal through them. You just got to understand, I had my own issues. And when I see that, that just kind of added to them, all right? Okay, I'm weird. I'm just not that weird. But I'm here to tell you, with Jesus Christ, take Him out of the box. Raise your expectation. There is a mystery about the Spirit of God. Jesus said this to Nicodemus. The Spirit blows where it wills. We don't don't know where it comes from. We don't know where it goes. But we see its power. When we walk outside and we see the wind whipping up dust or blowing through the trees or like it was yesterday where we had some serious wind and rain. We don't know where that wind comes from, but we see the power of the wind, don't we? We can't command the wind. We can harness the power in a sense. And when I pray for someone to be healed, I don't know whether God will heal them or not. But let me tell you something. If i got to pray for a 100 people to be healed and one person is healed, I'm going to pray for a 100 people to be healed because the grace and power and mercy of God wants to be manifest in that one person. And if I'm afraid to heal, pray for someone because 99 won't be healed and only one will be, you know what? I'm missing out and so are they. I don't understand the mystery. I'm just glad that Jesus Christ said, stop fearing and keep on expecting. Stop fearing and keep on expecting. Is it rain or wind? Probably both. I bet the wind is blowing through that rain. And I bet the Spirit is coming through here. Let's pray together. Head bowed. Eyes closed. Would you go to the Father? And would you invite Jesus to sit beside you right now? Can you see him? What's he look like? What's he saying to you? Is there an emotional wound that needs healing? Perhaps. Right now, can you see him reach out and touch you? Don't fear. Keep on expecting that he will heal you. Maybe physically, 
there's something that's causing you pain. Your back, shoulder, your knee, your ankle, fibromyalgia. Who knows? Maybe it's, maybe it's a cancer. Maybe, maybe it's some other internal disease that nobody can see except an x-ray or an MRI. Let Jesus reach out and touch you right now. Oh, 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 I know. I know you've prayed so much before. That's good news because Jesus said if you keep on praying, you're right on the edge of an answer. Don't let the fact that you haven't heard a yes yet make you think you won't hear a yes. In fact, believe that the promise of Jesus is true. Keep on asking because an answer is on the way. Keep on asking because an answer is on the way. Father, I pray for your healing touch. I pray that you will release your power in us, through us. Fill our hearts. Give us the grace to forgive the wrong that was committed against us. It's so horrible and so painful. Give the grace to forgive right now, to heal that wound. Father, thank you for the words of your son, Jesus Christ. Raise our expectation. Raise our expectation. He's visiting us. But the nature of his visitation will rest upon our expectation. As we end the service, the song, if you want to be prayed for, over in the corner to your right, in the back, there are prayer team members that will pray for you. You can come up front and be prayed for. As you go through this week, Throughout the day, every day, say, Jesus, raise my expectation. Help me stop fearing and begin to expect and believe. Take away my fear and give me faith. Let me open, take you out of the box, remove the walls, and release you to be in me and through me and the true Jesus, the transformational, powerful Jesus. So as we dismiss, if you would like prayer, please come up front or join our prayer team over there and uh, we'll be glad to pray for you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join us at Quest as we walk with one another in friendship while discovering the reality and goodness of God together. For more information and service times, visit us online at go to quest.org.